John chapter 21. We started in the chapter three weeks ago, and we started by seeing the disciples up there in Galilee as the Lord told them to go there, that he would appear to them. And we saw the Lord appearing to them for the third time. Uh, they had gone out fishing and caught nothing all night, and the Lord showed up there on the shore, told them to cast the net on the other side, and they had more fish than they knew what to do with. And they came to the shore, and the Lord, remember, had prepared a meal for them. There was fish there, there was bread, there was a fire, and he invited them to come and eat with them. And we talked about that daily invitation the Lord gives to come and dine with him. And it's such a key thing in our walk with the Lord, something we'll talk, touch on again this morning, that need to dine with the Lord daily. And then we saw from there last week the Lord restoring Peter back to ministry. Remember the Lord had told Peter that he would deny him three times and <clears throat> Peter just said, no way, Lord, all these other guys might, but I won't. And yet the Lord's word always prevails and the Lord knows the end from the beginning. And as the Lord prophesied, it came about. The Lord uh, had said he'd deny him and Peter denied the Lord three times. And remember, he wept bitterly. And as the Lord was there in Galilee, now he was going to restore Peter back to ministry. And we saw last week uh, the Lord asking Peter three times, do you love me? He said, do you got be me? Do you love me with that supreme love? And Peter, being honest, came back and he said, I'm fond of you, Lord. And uh, yet the Lord, being so good and knowing we're a work in progress, uh, you know, it honored Peter's honesty and truthfulness. And then he told him, Listen, if you love me, go and feed my lambs. And then he said, if you love me, tend my sheep. And if you love me, uh, feed my sheep. And we looked at that call, that pastoral call. That wasn't just given to Peter, but, you know, to pastors and elders. And it's also a call to us, just even in our homes, you know, to feed our little ones the word of God, to oversee them, to watch over their souls with the hope as we feed them the word, they'll grow up from lamb, being lambs to sheep that really honor them all their days. And so this morning we finish out the chapter and we're going to see the Lord giving Peter specific, uh, you know, an assurance concerning how his life would end. And telling him that, listen, when you were young, you went as you, would, as you want, but as you get older, you're going to be bound up. And your arms are going to be spread. And it was signifying the type of death he would die. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to see how God would use something that doesn't seem good for great good. And use it for the glory of the Lord. And we're going to see that the Lord tells us similar things as followers of the Lord. Some of the things that, you know, what he assures us that we're going to face. Listen, they in themselves are not good, but God uses them for good. And we're going to talk about that and how God really wants us to have a biblical perspective in the midst of trials and tribulations. Have you noticed that's a reoccurring theme in the scriptures? It really is. And it occurs over and over and over again because, again, as followers of the Lord, there's going to be trials and there's going to be tribulations. And then we're going to, tell, we're going to see Jesus telling Peter, you know what, to follow him. These things are going to happen, but in the meantime, you know what, what do you do? You follow after me. And then Peter being Peter and you know, and it's a picture really of us being us. The Lord tells him to follow him. And then immediately Peter gets his eyes on somebody else. And he asks the question, well, what about this fella? And uh, how often do we do the same? God tells us to follow him. And yet we get our eyes on something else or someone else. And we're going to get some instruction to help us with that, to help keep our eyes upon the Lord. And then finally, we'll see uh, the book as it's finished out declaring once again, you know, what the main reasons, and we'll talk about the main reason why it was written, written so that we would believe, and not just believe anything. Listen, people say, oh, we're saved by grace through faith, but sometimes they miss out on the fact it's 
faith in Jesus Christ, faith in him. And this is, again, the gospel of Jesus Christ written here in the gospel of John. So let's read the text here this morning, verse 18 through 25, and go down. And hopefully, again, we'll finish the book well, and you'll leave here greatly ministered to this morning. Sorry, ahead of time with those little coughs there. Uh, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who had also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Verse 24, this is the disciple that testifies of these things, and I wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Now again, notice here in verse 8, and again, it's Jesus talking to Peter, and he's still in that conversation where he's asking Peter, do you love me? And with each response, again, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, uh, feed my sheep. And then he tells him next in the course of this dialogue, this conversation that they're having, he says, most assuredly. And then again, he gives him a prophetic word concerning his life and concerning his death. He's saying, most assuredly, this is how things are going to unfold in your life. Now listen, the word assurance, it means a positive declaration intended to give confidence. It is a promise. And at first glance at this, at first consideration of it, listen, we should ask the question, well, what is reassuring about this? The Lord's telling Peter again, when you were young, you had a freedom. You went where you wanted. And listen, we're a people that love freedom. I think men in general want freedom no matter what type of government they're in you know what even the people lording over others trying to take their freedoms they're doing that so they can have more freedom i mean we want that you know what freedom to go where we want to do what we want to do and so forth and he says when you're younger you had that you're good at yourself and you went where you desired where you wish to go that's where you went but he says when you get older again You're going to stretch out your hands and another is going to gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And then again, he spoke this signifying the type of death he would die. And the Lord saying most assuredly, again, assurance means a positive thing. It is a, you know, a a promise uh, intended to give a confidence. And just by stopping there, signifying by, you know, it the type of death he would die, we should ask the question, well, what's assuring about that? That doesn't sound very assuring to me. Does it sound assuring to you? That doesn't sound like a good thing to have freedom and then have that taken from you when you get older. 
to be in a place where you go where you wish when you're younger and then you're older when you think, you know, I'm old, I should really be able to do what I want now and have that taken from you and you take into a place where you wish not to go. Again, in and itself, listen, you would say that's not a good thing. And there could be some things that happen in our lives that in and of themselves, they're not good things, but here's the awesome thing, God will use it for good. Again, going back to that verse, Romans 8, 28, we look at that a lot, don't we? It says that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. And I'll just ask you right now, do you love the Lord? Can you say amen to that this morning? And let me ask you as well, are you in Christ today? Have you called on his name? Can you say amen to that? Then listen, you're called according to his purpose. And there's going to be things that happen that in themselves, again, they're not going to look good, but God is going to use them for good. Now, the Lord is giving Peter a prophetic word about his future. And one thing we got to know is that when God gives a prophetic word, it's always 100% on point. Again, he gave him a prophetic word specifically for him earlier on that, you know what, you're going to deny me three times. When he had told them, I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles, I'm going to be arrested. It's going to be a fulfillment of scripture. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And remember, Peter said, oh, they all may, but I won't, Lord. If I have to die with you, I will. If I have to be taken to prison, I will. And yet the Lord knew. And indeed, it unfolded just as God said that it would. And what he's telling Peter here would unfold just as the Lord said that it would. When he prophesies, it's 100% accurate. Little side note here. True prophets of God, when they prophesy, it's 100% accurate as well. And we need to keep that in mind because there's a lot of people running around, even the world today, that prop themselves up and they declare that they are a prophet of God. And when I begin to hear that, immediately a big red flag goes up. You know what? We better test this. We better judge this. And that's a biblical thing to do. You need to know that. If someone is so brazen to say, I'm a prophet of God, you need to know that we are called by God to test what they are saying. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others, are you ready for it? Let the others, are you ready? Judge. Oh, we're to judge? Yeah, we're to judge. Especially someone, again, so brazen to say that they're a prophet of God. And we're to judge if they are giving, you know what, predictions or they're saying this will happen or that will happen. Well, will that actually happen? Because a prophet of God is one that hears from God and God's always 100% accurate. And so if it does not come about, that's generally when there needs to be a conversation. Hey, buddy, I don't really think you're a prophet of God. I think you need to, you know what, quiet that down. Let's get you involved instead into the janitorial work around the church. That might be a little bit better for you. This is also true, though, about declaring the word of God. Part of prophecy, and really the greater emphasis, is declaring the things of God or the word of God with power. And those things need to be tested as well. As what is being taught biblical, it is true, and so forth. So a little side note there. When the Lord prophesies, it's 100% accurate. And when true prophets of God prophesy, you're going to find if they're hearing from God, it's 100% accurate. And if it's not 100% accurate, they're not hearing from God. Now, the Lord, again, basically says, you out of freedom. You came and you went as you pleased. But as you follow me, you're going to lose some freedoms 
in this life. And you're going to be taken where you, do not, where you wish not to go. And again, he was talking about his death. Now, there's a lot of things here. And listen, I always try to be very organized in my mind about how to deliver these things. And sometimes I come to a place where it's like there's all these various thoughts. And I don't know if, how smoothly I can deliver it. But I want to share just a few thoughts with, with you guys on this. And this thought came to me this morning as I've been studying this all week. And then I had this thought this morning. Just thinking about life practically. Uh, and I think this is a, a, something for us really to consider. Just even practically in the West how uh, oftentimes when people are young practically, they have a vigor. They can go where they wish and they can do what they want to do. But in this culture we're living in today, listen, there's a lot of folks when they get older, their body begins to break down. And I think there's some things that contribute to that that aren't healthy in our culture that are promoted and people practice and so forth. And there's a lot of people, they get older, they don't get to go where they wish to go. You know, we uh, took care of my, uh, my wife's grandmother for the last 10 years of her life. And I remember even when me and my wife met, they were older, but they still were able, her and her husband, to go where they wished. And yet as time went, certain things came upon them and so forth. And they got to a place where they couldn't go where they wished. And I remember grandma those last four or five years in our house, you know where she went for the most part? She, she could barely walk. She could barely see, barely hear. And she just laid in the bed there. And she couldn't go where she wished. Um, but I know this, that even where she laid and she couldn't go where she wished, praise God, Jesus Christ was with her because he was her Lord and her Savior. And I thought about the difference between those that spend their life going where they wish and even living their life in the hopes of, you know what, and sometimes not going where they wish and having to go to work and so forth. But they're thinking, when I get older, I'm going to even have more freedom to do whatever I want when I retire. And how many of those folks, they even get to that point, and that's their great hope, and yet they find it to be fool's gold. They can't go where they wish. And I think just a little side note here, number one, Listen, if you have the health to be able to go where you wish, don't take it for granted. Number one, give Jesus the thanks and the praise for it. Can we say amen to that? And I think secondly, we need to know that, listen, the Lord knows the number of our days and the time may come where we can't go where we wish. And yet the Lord will be with us to the very end like he would be with Peter. And I think as well, it's a reminder to us to remember those that can't go where they wish and have a heart for them and a compassion for them and want to pray for them and minister to them and so forth, especially those that the Lord has put into our own lives. The Bible says that if you don't take care of your own, that you're worse than an unbeliever and denied the faith. And so just a little side note there for something for us to consider. Now, and I'll come back to that thought again in a second here as we get a little deeper but specifically with peter he's telling him how he would die now we don't read in scripture how peter died but uh church history does record this and it seems to be consistent through the historians that recorded his death that peter indeed had a flourishing ministry and then eventually came to a place where he was arrested by nero nero who had burned down uh you know what jerusalem and Peter came to a place where he was girded, he was arrested, and he was taken, and they crucified him. His hands were stretched out. And yet Peter, as you know, at the account is unfolded historically, and again, it's a historical account, but it seems to be consistent in the historical record. 
Peter at his death when he was crucified, he declared, I'm not worthy to be crucified upright, but they crucified him upside down upon the cross. And the Lord is telling him, listen, I'm giving you assurance. I'm giving you a positive declaration that you're younger, you can do what you want, but the day is coming when, again, your hands are going to be stretched out. You're not going to get to go where you wish, and you're going to die. I'm telling you this. It's signifying how you would die. And again, what kind of assurance is that? We're going somewhere with this, okay? And listen, there's a pattern here. It's a pattern throughout Scripture where the Lord gives these assurances that at first glance don't look very assuring to his servants. You see it throughout the word of God. You look at Genesis and God had called Abraham out of Ur the Chaldean to birth the nation, that through that nation, the Messiah of the world would fall. And in the midst of this call in Genesis 15, 12, God gives a prophetic word about the nation of Israel and what they would go through. He said there, he says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram or Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will, be, and they will afflict them for 400 years. He gives them assurance. You've left that place to come here that a nation would be birthed, and I'm giving you assurance that that nation is going to be afflicted for 400 years. doesn't sound very assuring. Ezekiel the prophet, it's a picture of just about all the prophets in Scripture. The Lord prophesied to him in that time that he was prophesying to the nation of Israel when they were in that Babylonian captivity in the process of going in. And during that time, he told Ezekiel at the beginning of his ministry, there in Ezekiel 3.25, he says, And you, O son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them and I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and not, and, and, not, and not be one to rebuke them for they are a rebellious house. Does that sound very assuring? 400 years you're going to be afflicted. You're going to not be able to go where you wish. You're going to be you know, bound up. Ezekiel, ropes are going to get put upon you. They're going to bind you. You're not even going to be able to open up your mouth. It's going to be, you know what, your tongue's going to cling to the roof of your mouth. And we see this again in the New Testament. We read about Paul. First of all, when he got saved, uh, he went to the house of, of uh, I believe it was Annas, and he was told, you know, I got to tell this man all the things he's going to suffer for my name's sake. And then later on in Acts 21, 11, it says, when they had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound it <coughs> around his own, <coughs> excuse me, hands and feet and said, this is the Holy Spirit So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit said that. And it was Paul's belt. And you see these assurances again throughout the scripture and they don't seem very assuring then and themselves. Do those seem like good things to you? Do you want, oh, the Lord's given me a word for you. You're gonna be bound up and not be able to go where you wanna go. Oh man, I don't want a word like that, you know? But you see this throughout the word of God. And I think we should ask the question there, who would press on knowing that this is their fate in life? Because all this is predicated on these people being followers of the Lord. As followers of the Lord, this is going to come upon you. You need to know, and I'm assuring these things are going to come your way. Listen, this is where worldly people say, what in the world's wrong with you? 
Why would you follow that knowing that that is going to come upon you? I'll give you some reasons why biblically, some things that these individuals knew and things that we need to know. Number one, listen, these guys understood eternal things. They understood that the things you see, they're temporary, they're going to perish. And they understood the difference between the temporary and the eternal, and again, serving the eternal God. They understood passages like this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Notice here, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. They got that. They understood that. They understood all this stuff we can touch and see and smell and so forth. They're all temporary. They're going to come. They're going to go. Peter talks about it in his epistles, how the day is going to come where there's going to be a fervent heat and this world as we know it is going to melt away. You know, the things that are going to last forever are the souls of men, the things unseen, those things done unto the glory of God. They got that. They understood that. They understood this is the eternal God. We're not going to live for passing pleasures. Let's live for his glory. These guys also understood, listen, as Philippians 1.21 says, Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And they understood to live. Listen, to have life. Do you want to live an abundant life? Can you say amen to that? Listen, that is found in living for Jesus Christ, even in the midst of the trials and the persecutions that will come your way. And a lot of people don't get that. They think, you know what, life in Christ, eternal life through faith in him and praise God for that. That's the only way we're saved. And then they get this mentality. Listen, now life is Jesus giving me everything that my flesh wants and my life being as cushy as could possibly be. And this is, that's a lie that is predicated by false teachers and they're flourishing today. Now listen, God blesses us with a lot of good things, doesn't he? And we should be thankful for that. We should be grateful for those things. But life is not found in those things. You want abundant life, you know where it's found? In Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, listen. There is a very strong possibility that you're going to face some trials, some tribulations. You're going to face some for sure. We're guaranteed that. But some of them might be very deep. Some of them might be like the promise given to Peter. I mean, the Lord ourself, listen, we're followers of him. He is our Lord. He was nailed to a cross. That's kind of a tip-off that, you know what, there might be some difficulties that come your way. But hear this, even in the midst of difficulties, in the fire, when the three were thrown in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was seen in the fire with them? Was it not Jesus Christ? To live as Christ. And there's so many people, again, they've put their faith in Christ, but they don't really want to live in Christ. Because though there's a joy unspeakable, full of glory, there's also trials and tribulations and a added persecution which we'll get to those promises to us here in a minute and they just say no i'd rather just go live and feed my carnal appetite these men did not do that it's like moses as it's written about him in hebrews eleven twenty four. by faith moses when he became of age refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing rather listen choosing rather 
to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He recognized these are passing pleasures. They're not permanent pleasures. They're passing pleasures. They're going to burn. Life is found in Christ, and there's eternal reward found in walking with Christ. These were also individuals who understood that, listen, souls hang in the balance. Oh, I'm praying. I'm praying that I I want a, a greater understanding of this in my person. And I want it for us to understand that hell and heaven, they are real things. They're real places that the soul doesn't perish. The soul lives on forever, either in hell, outside of God's presence and under his wrath, or in glory with him in perfection in paradise. Matthew 16.25, Jesus said, Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? And they got that. They understood that. Peter got that. He understood, yes, I got a freedom, but as follower of Christ, the day will come. God's telling me how I'm going to die. But listen, that's okay Because people need to get saved. I know where I'm going. And think about this. Would you rather be in the place of being a follower of the Lord? Knowing that you may lose some freedoms as a follower of the Lord. Knowing there may be trials come to you just because you're a follower of the Lord. And being bound up and losing some of those freedoms in this life. Compare that though to... Being in a place of shunning the Lord, doing what you will all of your life, but then coming to a place where you die and you're before the Lord and him saying, depart from me, I never knew you. And then him binding you up and casting you in the lake of fire. And now you can really never, ever, ever, ever again exercise any type of freedom. Bound up forever. And that place of torment, which the individual there will have chosen, make no mistake. They will have chosen that fate in rejecting the Lord, saying, I don't want you governing my life. I want my freedom. Isn't that what Adam did in the garden? I want to be my own God. God said, just don't eat of this tree. I'm not going to be restricted by you. I want my freedom. I'm going to eat of that tree. And I bet that fruit tastes incredibly, you know, it's probably the best meal ever in the history of the world. But boy, was it not a passing pleasure as immediately death set in. Immediately a feud set in between him and his wife. Immediately childbirth, you know, pain came upon her. Immediately the thorn and thistle rose up. Immediately there was a curse that came upon the land. And these individuals recognized that. They recognized these things. They understood eternal things. They understood to live as Christ. They understood the vanity of passing pleasure. They understood that souls hung in the balance. And this is greater than all of it. They understood that to suffer for the Lord, hear this, brings glory to the Lord. When Jesus suffered on the cross, it brought glory to the Father. And when we suffer for the name of Christ, it brings glory to the Lord. 
to our God. First Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not think it a strange do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Notice here verse 14. For if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Did you hear that? If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. Then hear this. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. And indeed, when they crucified Peter on that cross, the Lord was blasphemed on their behalf, but Jesus Christ was greatly glorified on Peter's behalf. And think about all the vain things people suffer for in this life. They're suffering all over the world. And there's many people, they suffer for a vain cause. It might even be a good cause, but if God's not in the cause, ultimately it's a vain cause. And they suffer for those things. Listen, it's a privilege to be able to suffer for Jesus. And it's not as earning our salvation through suffering. If I suffer a little more, I might get saved. Jesus suffered for us. That's good news. And now as followers of the Lord, we may get opportunity to suffer for him. Aren't you glad that you got that assurance this morning? And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's, that, that was for Abraham and Moses and Ezekiel and Paul and Peter. But, but is that for us? Yeah. Again, he assures Peter you're going to go through this, but greater he assures him that in it, God will be glorified. Peter, you're going to go out. You're going to be bound up. And it's going to be difficult, but you need to know in it that I will be glorified in your death. And with Peter, there's even an added glory because, listen, there is a great credibility to his witness that comes from that. This is a man that denied the Lord before he saw the resurrected Christ. Look at his person. Look at his character. Look at him afterwards. He suffers greatly for the cause of the Lord. We see him persecuted in Acts, and then we know he's crucified for the cause of Christ. That sounds like a man true to his convictions and what he saw in the resurrected Lord. Now, again, we're giving similar assurances in the Scripture. And I have a, I have a boatload of them here, but I think for time's sake, I'm only going to be able to pick a few out of the boat. I think we've already referred to them. We've already seen it in what, you know, what we've looked at. But I'll go back to a, an oldie but a goodie, a, a verse that I share quite often. 2 Timothy 3.12. Who knew that I was going there? <laughs> and yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Abraham wanted to live godly. Moses wanted to live godly. Ezekiel, Peter, and Paul wanted to live godly. And God specifically Gave them all assurance, you're going to suffer in this way, but I'm going to be glorified. Let me ask you this morning, do you want to live godly in Christ Jesus? Can you say amen to that? Again, living godly in Christ, we're in Christ. Do we want to live godly in Christ? Or do we want to say, I'm in Christ, but I want to just live for my carnal appetite to fulfill it. And I got freedom, I'm going to go do all this. All things are lawful, but they're not all profitable. Living for passing pleasure, it's not profitable. Living for the glory of God, abiding in the Lord, boy, that's a profitable thing. We get all these assurances in the scripture. Listen to this one, Matthew 10, or 5.10. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, notice here, 
when they revile and persecute you. When, not if. When they revile and persecute you. And say all kinds of, of evil against you falsely for my, name, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And again, the list goes on and on. He talks about us being hated by all nations for his namesake. Listen, we're on the cusp of that right now. He talks about if you're of the world, the world will love you. But since you're not of the world, the world's going to hate you. Talks about in John 16, the time's going to come when whoever kills you, they're going to think they're doing a service to God. And there's been high points of that in the history of mankind. And I think we're definitely... Coming to another high point. And listen, these types of trials and persecutions, they're going to come. Some are going to come from the hand of man. Some are going to come from the hand of the enemy of our soul. Some are going to come from our own flesh. The Bible talks about a war with our flesh. Or sometimes our own flesh is just persecuting us more than anything else. And it's desire to go on to, you know, be satisfied and have his carnal appetites satisfied. You're like, I got a battle going on with my own flesh. You know, talking about the devil in the world, my battle's right here. Yeah, I got to crucify this old man again. He wants to raise himself every day. That's why Paul said, I got to die daily. I got to die daily. Sometimes these things come right from the hand of God. And you're like, God, why would you do this? Why, you know, you look at Job. God, why would you allow Satan to, you know, attack Job in such a way? That's not a good thing. But, oh, God, use it for great good. Phenomenal good. So how do we endure? We go over this list. Listen, I'm here to live for eternal things. To live as Christ. The vanity of living for passing pleasures. Souls hang in the balance. Do you concern, are you concerned about your loved one's salvation? Are you living for Christ? Like, how can I get a save? You know, how can I make an impact on them? Live for Christ. Because if you're like, I'm in Christ, but I don't live for Christ. I live like the world, but I'm in Christ. You think that's going to have an impact on them? They're going to say, you're a hypocrite. I look at your life, it looks just like mine. There's no difference in it. There's no light shining there. There's no fire ablaze where you're in the fire and they're like, hey, Jesus is in there with you. It's a lukewarm mess that looks just like the world. In fact, it looks worse because it is marked by such gross hypocrisy. Oh, Lord, grant us grace and mercy. And listen, then the Lord gives them a practical instruction. You've had freedom, it will be taken. You're going to die, but it's going to be to my glory. And then Peter could perhaps, perhaps think, well, what would I do in the meantime? And he says, when he has spoken this, he said to him, notice here, follow me. Follow me in this time of freedom and follow me when you're bound up. Because whether we're abased or abounding, we can all do all things to Christ Jesus who strengthens us. He's saying, don't look back, don't turn away, don't get sidetracked. Follow me into the fire, into the flood. I will be there with you. Follow me. And he gives us that assurance he's with us to the end of the age. And listen, we got to do the exact same thing. Without following him, we can do nothing at all. We're commanded to. In fact, it's our highest call. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, are you a disciple? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
And if we're not doing that, if we're not following day, there's going to be no fruit, no power, no substance. As we looked at several weeks ago in John 15, verse 8, or excuse me, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now we come to verse 20 here. Lord prophesies to Peter, assures him that in this though will be glorified. Then he says, in the meantime, follow me. And you think Peter's like, yeah, I'm going to follow you. He probably did. And then there, look at the very next thing. This is, this, is, this is so us. Then Peter turning around. Follow me. Okay, Lord. And now he turns around. You think his eyes would be on him that, you know, whole rest of the time before the Lord practically left their presence so again he was with them spirit then peter turning around saw the disciple whom jesus loved john's got to throw that one more time out there you know i'm the disciple jesus loves have you told anyone that yet <laughs> following who had leaned on his breast to supper and said lord who is the one who betrays you and this is john just giving clarity yes it's the same guy every time it says the one the lord loves it's the same guy that's being talked about again though he loves us all and we can all say that i'm the one jesus loves aren't you glad you can say that this morning and peter seeing him said to jesus the lord what about this man now again he given peter quite a bit of insight about his future god gives us that as well these things will happen, but you need to know I'm with you and I'm going to work it all for good and you got a great future and hope in the Lord. And then he says, follow me. And again, the first thing he does is turns his eyes off the Lord and gets it fixed on another disciple. And instead of just receiving that word, getting in his lane and begin to, you know what, follow after the Lord, he says, but what about this guy, Lord? What about him? Aren't you glad that never happens today? Aren't you glad that we never do that? Aren't you glad every time you come to fellowship, your eyes are just upon Jesus and you're here to worship him, to glorify him, to get into his word? Aren't you glad you never start looking around during service and see someone that maybe you have beef with, someone maybe you're jealous of, Maybe someone you don't like or someone you want to be just like and you start looking and considering their gifts, their blessings, their trials, their condition, maybe even their sin, usually with a big old log in your own eye when you do that or when we do that. Listen, this is some practical instruction here because we are prone to do this ourselves. Listen to the counsel Jesus gives to them. It's counsel for us. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is a great, great life lesson. Oh, Lord, get it deep in our crawl right now. Can we say amen to that? If he remains, if I will he remains till I come, what's that to you? Listen, he, give, he gives what he wants to who he wants whenever he wants, and that's none of my business. We need to be in a place where we are just blessed, we are thankful for what we have, and our aim is to say, I want to be a good steward of what God has given to me. 
Because how many times he's made us to be a fig tree and we see the apple tree over there and we just get fixated on the apple tree. Oh, I long to be an apple tree. I could be a better apple tree than that apple tree. My apples will be better than that apple tree. Matthew 25, 15. And to one he gave five talents, another two, and to another one. Notice, to each one according to his ability. And immediately he went on his journey. God's given each of us talents. He's got a call on each one of us. And what's amazing, when the Lord came back, he said the exact same thing to the one with two and five that used those talents to his glory. He said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's all that mattered. They took what was given to them and they used it for the master's glory. And the Lord gave them the same verbal reward. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Oh, help us, Lord, just to get our eyes upon you. He has to tell Peter a second time, you follow me. And we need to hear it over and over and over again. You follow me. You follow me. Man, when we're tempted to get our eyes on others, oh, Lord, give us ears to hear. Let us remember, you follow me. Can we say it together? You follow me. Because so often, again, we get so obsessed with others what others have, what they're doing, what they're not doing, their success, their failure, their failings, their following. And listen, nothing good comes out of it. Now, it's one thing if you're, you know, looking at how you can minister to them, that's looking at it in a different view because you're looking at them through the eyes of Jesus, how the Lord will look at them. Or maybe you're just thanking God for their gifts and their talents. Again, there's a balance in this. But this idea of I'm to follow the Lord, that he me, I get my eyes fixed. Well, what about him, Lord? Nothing good comes out of that. You know what comes out of that? One of the four following things, if not all four of them. Number one, envy oftentimes comes out of that. They have something you don't have. And as your eyes are fixated upon them, our flesh becomes envious very easily of what they want or what they have and what we want that they have. And the Bible says that if you have bitter envy and jealous ambition not to lie against the truth, bring that before the Lord. Do that this morning. That might be the thing that's really hindering you from abiding or abounding in the Lord is because your eyes are fixated on somebody else and you're envious of what they have versus saying, I want to get my eyes on Jesus and be thankful for what he's given to me. Oftentimes as well, pride can come out of that. Because sometimes we're in this place of saying, well, here I am, a glorious fig tree. Let me look around. Oh, we just see a small mustard seed bush over here. Oh, I'm far more superior than they are. Look at me and all my glory and all my figs. Pride goes before the fall. God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And when your eyes are upon Jesus, you're like, man, I'm I'm just a saved by grace fig tree. And any fruit here, listen, it's only for one reason. It's only because of one reason, because God's allowing there to be fruit. Also, what comes out of that oftentimes is the sin of busybodiness. And boy, the world is full of busybodies. They got their eyes on anybody and everybody except themselves and the Lord, and they're up in everybody's business, and that is called sin in the scriptures. And worse than that, listen, your eyes are off Jesus. Your eyes are off Jesus. We're to look unto him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now listen, this was one thing back in their day. 
In our day, this is even more extra challenging because there's so many people that want you obsessed with them. Have you noticed that? Social media can be used for a lot of good things, but listen, it has been a detriment to our society because there's so many people on it just saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Hear this this morning. Use that for good, but we don't necessarily need to know your every thought, your every opinion, what you eat at every meal, and every time you get a brownie point in life. In fact, beware of that. You might be losing your reward. You might be losing it. How tragic. I did all this for God, and I went to stand before him to get my reward, and I found out I lost it on Facebook. (laughs) It's true. Listen, those verses aren't there in vain. He says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Let another boast of you. And if you're in a place where you feel like you need to know what's going on in everybody's life, it's time to step back from the computer. It's time to step back from the smartphone. Man, I know people, their lives are ruined by that nonsense, and they're on it all day long. What are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? And so forth. This is truth here this morning. We got an added burden in this culture when it comes to these things. And this is an angle the enemy is using to get a whole lot of believers' eyes off of Jesus and eyes on other people. Now, again, there could be good in social media. That could be a good thing. It can be a place where oftentimes maybe someone can even get prayer or give praise to God. Let's separate the two. We have freedom in the Lord, right? All things are lawful. You got freedom in Jesus to use Pinterest or Facebook or whatever, Instagram, whatever the latest thing is. MySpace, anyone either? It's all, it's all lawful, but it's not always profitable. So use it for the glory of God. Now quickly, here, verse 23. And this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You can put right here, this saying went out, and you can put in parentheses, out of context. And oftentimes do people take God's word and then take it out of context. And they make it mean something that it isn't at all. And they make it mean something they want it to mean versus what it actually says. You can frame just about anything any way you want it to look if you take it out of context. And beware of truths that you're told Are you getting the whole story? Are you just getting a bit piece taken out of context? Because the Lord had said, listen, the Lord had absolutely said, uh, you know what? If he will not die, if he remains till I come, what's that to you? But he said, if I will, if I will that. And they dropped that I will out of it. And they just said, man, trip out on that. This guy's going to live till the Lord comes back. And that might not seem like a big deal, but it's a big deal because though we're to look every day for the coming of the Lord, that could have very easily got people's eyes on John. I said, boy, we need to modern. Oh, John's really sick. Did you hear John's out on the island of Patmos? Well, let's start a chart on the day we think he's going to die. In fact, I'll get a bestseller going. 
Jesus comes the day John dies, projected on his age and his condition and so forth. We're saying at age 99, the Lord's going to come back on this certain day. People do this stuff all the time. Have you noticed it? We also need to make sure we have a fear of God not to twist truth and take it out of context as well. Concerning God's word, and hear this, concerning other people. And it's all the more we need our eyes upon the Lord because when eyes are fixated on other people, that's when oftentimes there's more of a temptation to be envious or to be prideful and saying, listen, I can't get what they want, but I can kind of try to destroy what they have. So let me take some things out of context and twist some things around. Oh, Lord, give us a fear of God in this. Proverbs 6, 16, six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil. And here that's a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. Let me take a little bit of truth and take it out of context so I can sow discord amongst the brethren. And God says, that's an abomination to me. Oh, Lord, give us fear not to fall into that. Help us, Lord. Forgive us where we have. Can we say amen to that? Again, Jesus never said John would die. He said, if I will, he remains till I come. What's that to you? Again, that's his business. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whoever he wants. And us saying, but that's not fair. God can do whatever he wants. Amen. (laughs) Now, one other note on this. Listen, two times in this, the Lord says, until I come. Do you realize Jesus is coming again? He is. Not very popular today with a whole lot of folks, even within the church. Listen, if you're a pastor talking about the coming of the Lord, you might get rapture shamed. But Jesus is coming back. He's coming back like a thief in the night. Let's be watchful, amen? Let's not just look about his business. Let's be about his business. And then verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So the fellow that's referred to throughout the scripture, the one who Jesus loves, he says, this is the one that's writing this epistle. And there's pretty much universal agreement that that one was the apostle John. And he says, I'm the one writing these things, and the things I'm writing are true. He's authoritative about it. This is what I saw. This is what the Holy Spirit has led me to write. The Spirit of God has come upon me to write these things. And thus saith the Lord, these things are true. And God wants to have that assurance when we read the Scripture. And things like fulfilled prophecy. Listen, that helps birth assurance in our health, ourselves or in the Word that these things are true. And why were these things written? We saw in the last chapter. We're almost done here. John 20, 30. It says there, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. These things are written that we would have eternal life. I just thank the Lord that even in the midst of peril and misinformation and deception, I praise God that it still seems like to this day, the most quoted and the most visible verse in all the Bibles, John 3, 16. I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord that even, you know what, 
quite often when I'm watching some sporting event on TV or something. In fact, I was at a game live last year and I saw the sign, John 3.16. Thank you, Lord. These things are written that we can believe. That we can believe that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so these things were written so that we could believe, oh Lord, let our faith grow. And then let us understand that one of the high calls we have is to declare the word of God so others will come to a place of faith. And then lastly here, uh, an amazing statement. And there are also many other things that Jesus did. Which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's an amazing statement. And I believe the context of that is talking about what Jesus did while he was on earth only. Now he's the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity. You think all the books of the world could contain all the things that God has ever done? There'd be volumes just upon your personal, you know what, cell structure and immune system and so forth just yours god's the one keeping all that together <laughs> there'd be volumes just on the construction of this building how it came together and so forth ultimately again god's the one that provided the materials and the abilities and so forth to bring such a thing together but he's talking about here on earth all the things it is at least I, that's that's what i believe i think that's the context here The Lord never sinned. He never did what he was not supposed to do according to the law. And he always did what the Father had called him to do. We serve an awesome God. Aren't you glad for that? And let's praise him for what he did. Let's praise him for what he's doing. And let's praise him for what he is going to do. And then finally, the last last word of the gospel. We're out of time. We'll get to that next week. No, we'll finish right now. The last word is amen. Can we say amen? Amen Amen being so be it. Amen declaring this is the highest authority. Amen. That's it. Amen. So be it. The highest authority has spoken it. It's set in stone. Let's stand up and uh, close here in prayer and worship. Well, Lord God, we just bless you today, Lord, and Lord, we just desperately need you, God. Lord, let us take assurances, God, in your promises, Lord. Lord, let us remember, God, even in things that don't seem good to remember, you're using them for good and for your glory, God. Lord, give us a fresh, God, hunger for you. Help us to get our eyes upon you, Lord. And oh, Lord, where our eyes so easily get fixated on others and things other than you. Lord, grant us the grace and mercy each day, God, to draw closer to you, to take up our cross and follow you. Lord, even direct our heads and our eyes back to you, Lord. We need your help and we need your aid in these things, Lord. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that your word declares that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Christ shall not perish but have everlasting life. Have you put your faith and your hope in them? If you have this morning, rejoice. You're a partaker of eternal life. 
You're under the shed blood of the Lord. You're washed and you're forgiven. And today, if you don't know him, it's time to call upon the name of Jesus. It's time to ask him to be your Lord and Savior, to cleanse you of your sin. Put your trust and your hope in him today. Listen, if you're in that place, I'd love to lead you just in a simple prayer, an affirmation of that desire to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life so you can leave here knowing, indeed, you've called upon his name. And again, it's not salvation through a prayer. It's salvation and asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to rule over your life. You're saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to put my trust in you, Lord. And if that's you, again, pray with me right now. If you know the Lord, I want to invite you to pray as well. We stand with these calling on him. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven and washed made right with you I do believe in you I believe you died for my sins you rose from the grave to give me life everlasting save me Lord wash me Lord be my God my Lord my King my friend my physician all of my days I thank you Lord Lord bless the need that prayed that, prayed that prayer and Help us to finish well, Lord, with our voices lifted to you. Let's worship the Lord. Oh, yeah. 
back through the doubt, through the change, through the storms that come my way. I will run every day. I will give you Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. I pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus.